Hello folks, welcome to the Jock and Journo show once again, all after Paddy Cripps last week. We have another special guest. This is a man who's kicked a lot of goals, astute businessman, and now in charge of the direction of the game. We can't wait to have a chat to him. I'm Jay Clark, I'll introduce him in a second. Uh, hello to you, five-time All-Australian, five-time Best and Ferris winner, three-time Anzac Day medalist, Scotty Penderbury. How you going, yeah, mate? mate? Good, how are you? How was your battle with Cripple last week? You um, yeah, it went well. He got the 10 coaches votes, um, probably best on ground, and yep. sort of just battled away like yep. the Tigers do, mate. Yep, bit sore. Um, Did he land on you at any point, like you nah, said? No, he didn't crush me this time. Right. He crushed me a few times last time. Yep. Jesus is a big boy. Yeah, I said it last week, but he's massive. It was a great game, and he spoke well. But uh, our attention turns to this man. He was voted by Matthew Lord as the game's best mature age pickup. As I say, hello to you, James Podziadley. Thanks, Jay. It's uh, good to be here with a, with a future Hall of Famer and Pendles. So, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> hey, um, speaking of future Hall of Famers, mate, 104 AFL games at the Cats and the Crows, 195 goals at the two clubs, uh, v- uh, Liston... Uh, medal winner, Frosty medal winner, I think four-time VFL team of the year player. I uh, just kicked an absolute mountain of goals and then won a flag with the Cats, of course, in 2011 uh, and doing some exciting things now. Am I right that you are running a uh, or starting up a, um, a play centre for kids? Is it AFL Max? Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, it is. It's uh, it's AFL Max. It's a... Um uh, a light bulb that I had probably about three years ago that, um, you know, I think AFL is the greatest sport in the world. And, um, you know, my passion, one of my passions is getting kids active. So I sort of wanted to um, create a venue where, you know, kids can come in and, and basically explore and, and sort of be themselves in a safe environment. Um, you know, we grew up as kids kicking the ball on the street, kicking the ball through trees, jumping fences, you know, um, climbing trees. But um, you don't see kids doing that as much these days. So the idea was let's create a venue that um, that kids can do that. Well, play centres are nuts at the best of times, let's be honest. Uh, Scotty, what's it going to be like when you throw a footy in there as well with a bunch of three-year-olds? Podsy, it's going to be pretty hectic. Yeah, no, the idea is it's, it's supposed to be hectic, supposed to be crazy, but yep. it's going to be um, safe. So, you know, we want our parents to come in the venue with their kids. Uh, there's a cafe in there for them to stay and, and watch and we're going to have a whole heap of different programs as well so kids can kids can develop um, not only just play and and um, and have fun but it's about a development angle as well which is which is exciting for us and the AFL uh, in particular I think we've got some cool tech in there we've got you know virtual reality with some interactive screens that, no way um, yeah kids can actually hit targets and play games um, virtually too so it's going to be um, a, a different offering cool. I, know, I know my two year old Jax is actually two tomorrow my young fella but He'll, uh, he'll definitely visit AFL Max. Now, another interest pods, just quickly. Mm, yep. I spoke to your wife last week. Can you yep. tell us a little bit about, is it Mount Mary Wines? Yep. Um, um, I've been looking to try and buy some. Very hard to secure. Elite. <laughs> On the phone last week and um, talking and all of a sudden it's like, I think I actually know who you are. My husband used to play for Geelong in 2011. Yep. James Pods Yadley. I said, I know Pods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know Pods. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. I've got a feeling that the invite on the podcast today is because you want to sort of get on that list, maybe Pendles, but... <laughs> <laughs> I am waiting to get on the yeah. member's table. Beautiful but, wines if you haven't tried them. Yeah. Um, nah, um, yeah, Claire uh, Claire manages the uh, the business. It's her family's um, winery. So it's been around since about 1972, uh, her grandfather started it, and um, you know they make a pretty good drop um, there. So yeah. for 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 our family, it's pretty good at Christmas time and, yeah, and yeah. most birthdays that we uh, we get served the best wine in Australia. 
What is it? What is your favourite podsy? I mean, this Scotty here, it's yep. his one in, indulgence. Like he lives ninety nine percent extremely dedicated, disciplined lifestyle. I don't need a lolly or anything like that. But so occasionally has the red wine, Scotty. That's occasionally do yeah. after yeah. A, after a match. Yeah, occasionally do. Now, uh, what's but, your favourite? What did? Oh, look, the Mount Mary Quintet for me is probably um, uh, my favourite. But I, from a uh, from a great perspective, I'm a, I'm a Pinot fan, so yeah. that lighter style. Um, Wine is probably where I sit, but well, what about that's you? Wine I'm trying to get my hands on the quintet. Is that right? So, yeah, I've been okay. trying to look for it. Yep. Found it in Prince Wine Store in South Melbourne. Right. There, went to buy it, and the owner said it's the last one and it's his, so he just leaves it there on display. So is that's that what right? <laughs> forced me to search. So I'm waiting to get in on the members' table, and hopefully Pods can steep me to yes. the front of the line. Pods, if he can do something about that, mate, for the Chuckin' Journal. I We'll speak after this. <laughs> well, hey, we are at the George, of course, and what a magnificent place uh, it is. Magnificent Vietnamese menu, Podsy. If you haven't had some of the uh, some of the prawns, um, the uh, sticky pork uh, uh, pandals, what's your favourite? You like the beef? Oh, you just smash nah, everything. The, the calamari. The salad is really good. The chicken salad, that's unbelievable. It's 162. Collins Street Pods, you can come here if you're AF- after AFL work drinks, mate, or before a game, you just Sounds pop good. in here. Greggy and Maud will be able to look after you. 162 Collins Street, make sure you get here to George. We'll always look after you. But Podsy, let's get to your uh, magnificent football career, <laughs> mate, because you had a chance at the Bombers. You trained at the, you're kicking snag after snag in the VFL. You had a chance at the Bombers and a chance at the Pies. Why did, why did you think that it didn't quite work out for you? in those earlier days? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And on reflection, it was just maturity, really. It was both uh, physical maturity and, and mental too. Like uh, my first three years, I spent two years at Essendon, as you said, and a year at Collingwood um, on rookie lists. Um, and back then, I think um, I probably just wasn't, um, my application wasn't there um, as, a, as a young player. I thought it was at the level. Uh, and every young player comes through and they think they're pushing themselves to some sort of, some, some, some sort of level. But um, on reflection, I probably wasn't there. Um, physically, I just didn't have that. You know, as a key position player, you need strength, power, um, speed, and endurance. And uh, it just took me a lot of time to actually develop those 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 tools, basically. Um, so yeah, it's probably a maturity thing. What what kept you going? I suppose how many years did you get knocked back? Was it seven, six? Yeah, it was about. Uh, I think I'm potentially to about seven different pre seasons at different clubs. Pendles. Uh, what wow. kept me going? Um, I think just wanting to be the best I could be. Um, there was opportunities back when I was playing VFL to to play local footy and and um, you know the or country footy, and the money was probably a little bit better than what I was getting paid in the VFL, but. Um, I think VFL, the attraction there, and it, it still is now, I'm sure, for some players, is that you're competing against players on AFL lists. Um, and that probably motivated me to, to train harder and, and, and do the extra weight sessions because, you know, there was times when a player would get dropped uh, and I'd have to play on them. So you just prepare really well. So it was probably the motivation to, to be as best I could. Yep. And yeah. clearly you thought you were better than some of your opponents when that, when, when you kept kicking the AFL guys. Exactly. And that must have given you some sort of confidence. Yeah, there's a handful of occasions where that, that happened. Um, but you probably, once I got to about um, 22, I sort of thought that I could feel I could dominate a VFL game. Yeah. Um, and that gave me confidence to go. And then I did a couple of pre-seasons. And then once I got to about 24, 25, I just thought, well, my time's done. Like no one actually gets recruited at, at that age back yeah. then. Um, so you just basically go on and, and try and forge a career in something else and and keep being the best VFL player you can. And, and as you know, things sort of change pretty quickly. What was the most snags you kicked in a game, VFL, and in a season? Uh, Ten. Um, in a game? Was, yeah, I think that's what I sort of talked about when I got to about 22, 23. Um, 
I'd played down back for a couple of years and then uh, the coach sort of swung me forward a couple of games and um, I just got my confidence after a, a bag of 10 and thought um, <laughs> I could probably play at the level. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Most in a season? Uh, I couldn't tell you, Pendles, maybe around 70 or 80. Yeah. 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 You kicked 68, I think it was, at Geelong in their VFL team, 2009. You might have, you yep. won the best, best and fairest. I'm not sure if you were captain yep. at the time. Yeah. And then you got picked up, I think it was pick 50 in that year's. Um, Rookie draft age, what were you, 26 or 27? 28. 28? Yeah. Unbelievable. 28. So can you tell us when was the – you th- I thought at that point your AFL days were no chance. Yeah. But can you tell us about the first conversation or when did the spark ignite that, hang on, the cats could be interested or this could happen age uh, 28? Yeah, really late actually and I still remember it pretty vividly. I was working um, as a – a high performance manager or an assistant, um, you know, running the weight sessions and things like that at a club. So you were uh, the fitness lackey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically, basically <laughs> Not just for the AFL though. Yeah, that, for the AFL. AFL, yeah. AFL yeah, 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 yeah. And the VFL captain and uh, the VFL best and fairest had um, had gone past the, the boys. Um, Two thousand and nine won the grand final. Um, so I was basically in the office um, writing the programs, the off-season programs for all the players, as you know, Pendles. Yeah. Um, you probably hate getting yeah, we, them. We follow those closely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's your secret. Yeah. Um, and uh, Neil Baum and Steve Hocking and uh, Stephen Wells um, pulled me into their office and said, just want to have a chat to you. And I was like, um, the next week I was actually going to London to spend a week um, with the English rugby team with their high-performance te- with their high-performance guys. Uh, with Brenton Sanderson, so one of your coaches now, Pendles, he was going to spend a week with the coaches, I was going to do the fitness stuff, and they pulled me aside and said, mate, before you go, um, just want to ask you, um, what are your thoughts on um, you know, becoming a mature age rookie? Because the, the rules have changed and um, we've got you know, Tommy Hawkins and Cam Mooney and at the moment there's no sort of you know, backup and one of those guys goes down. And they said, go away to London and just work out whether you want to be a part of part of that in the future you know we'd still commit to um, helping you out with your exercise science sort of journey and you can still be involved in that department going forward but um, we'd like to put, put you on a rookie list and I sort of went back to um, my desk in my office and thought I don't need to go back to London out, out to London to have a to decide this I want to do it now like so um, basically they just asked me to put the application in and keep it quiet so I put the draft application in and, and kept it quiet till December. Do you mind me asking what your rookie wage was? Yeah. Like was it absolute Minimum or? Uh, yeah, I had to take a pay cut. Um, to I was running a business back then. I was you know playing VFL and, and getting paid at Geelong, so I did have to take a pay cut. Yeah. Um, I can't even tell you like what I think it might have gone from. Uh, it might have been like a we worked out a deal of like a hundred grand. I think yeah. it might have been like yeah. fifty as a as a rookie, and then I still did some work in the in the fitness department and got another forty or fifty. Amazing. Um, yeah. So I remember. Thinking, you know, one step or two steps back to take three steps forward potentially. I was at the Geelong Advertiser at the time and I think I watched you play a practice match in about February and I spoke to Cameron Mooney after the game and you did well in the practice match. And um, we asked Moons at the time, I said, what what about this bloke Podsy Adley? Like he's come from nowhere, he's 28 years old. Like, do you think he could play? It looks like he could play senior footy. Do you think he could play? And Moon said... He's definitely in the team. I'm telling Bomber right now, he's going to play in the round one team. And yeah. I think you played round three against Fremantle yep. and then basically was in the team ever since. Yeah. Did, did it click automatically that you were good enough to, 
to not only be on an AFL list, but to play well in an AFL team. Now, you still doubt yourself, I think, um, coming in thinking, I've played VFL for 10 years, how am I good enough? But um, one thing, Cam Mooney, um, you know, going into that club, that club was one of the clubs that... Uh, the culture that existed about the senior players and Moons for me was the, was the guy was that the knowledge transference and being able to actually help the younger players. And I wasn't a young player, the newer players coming through. Yeah. Uh, Moons told me everything there was to know about being a key forward, what opposition players were trying to do to you. He gave me some tools. I'm thinking, um, I'm here competing for a spot with you, but you're handing me over all this knowledge. Um, and I just thought from there, and I actually, I've kept that, um, from all the clubs I've been to since. I thought that was really powerful. Um, and Geelong had that culture. Like I remember Lingy, you know, um, communicating and coaching some of the younger midfielders coming through. And I was like, that's amazing when, you know, you've got a spot in the team and these guys can come actually take your spot. Um, so Moons for me was that, was that person and that team first approach, which, you know, all clubs have now, um, was there from, from the foundation. How was your first AFL experience? Like night before? Game day, running out there, nerves, excitement, all of it? Uh, I was just probably excited. Um, I get nervous before games. I, sorry, I did get nervous before games. Uh, that game for me was just um, pure excitement and, and Lingy was a captain at the time, presenting me with the jumper um, and the words he said around, um, you, know, you know, deserving my opportunity just basically um, gave me the confidence that um, I sort of needed at that point. Um, and then it was just... Um, use my tools that I basically developed over 10 years. Some of the stuff, the feedback I got from coaches, you know, I wasn't quick enough, I wasn't fit enough, I wasn't strong enough, all those sort of things I'd, I'd developed in 10 years and, and now I was quick and, and, and strong and, and fit. So um, I put them How'd to work. How did you go in your first game? Who did you play? Freo. Uh, yep. Uh, I think I went okay. Pendles. What did you do? Um, don't pretend like you don't know. No, Bozzy, no. There's, a, there's a smile. No. There's definitely a few snags. No, we uh, we had we 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 lost the game for by a goal, I think, in the end. But um, yeah, I think uh, I took a few contested marks, and and um, that was always yeah. something that I, I I love working on. So that was yeah. pretty handy. Two yeah. goals, seventeen disposals, eleven marks, Podsy, in your in your AFL debut. Um, that is won outstanding. The goal, won the goal kicking in 2011 at Geelong. Is that right as well? Uh, yeah. Yep. 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 It's not bad. In your first, is that your first season? That was my second year. Second year. Yeah, so. Premiership you, year. Yep. Did you use the motivation, like all the knockbacks, all the people who told you you weren't good enough probably, in a polite kind of a way? Did that motivate you? Did that fuel you? Um, Had to, surely. Yeah, I think at the time it may, it may have, but I said at the Pendles before, like I wanted to become the best player I could. And I actually, some of the people that gave me that feedback, I actually respected. So, yep. you know, um, Pendles' old mentor, Mick Moldhouse, sat me down when he delisted me and told me a couple of things. It was like, Rightio, well, this guy's pretty knowledgeable. Let's yeah. not disrespect it as much as it's frustrating and, and annoying that I'm not going to be here. Um, but you've got to take it in and go, if he wants me to work on my endurance, well, go away and, and work on your endurance. Mm. It's, it's some good feedback. So as much as it was, it was about proving people wrong, it was actually more about proving um, me right and, and the doubts that I had in my head, I wanted to prove them basically wrong as well. It was an amazing team, the 2009-10 Geelong um, sides, but you ran into a, a Collingwood team. So the 2010 preliminary final, you guys were playing that fast-flowing, attacking yep. footy off halfback, and you come up against the Collingwood team, which was um, doing the doing the frontal pressure really, really well. Um, Scotty, you'll, you'll remember that. And do you remember that, that first quarter against the Cats because yeah, I think I you kept them to one goal. You were guys with 40 points yeah. or something. Yeah. And it looked like it was a real 
punching the mouth to the Collingwood team, and even to the Geelong team, and almost changed the game in a way. Or do you remember that? Yeah, I think that was. We had. I don't think we had beaten Geelong that year, but we got really close to them. And it was sort of. And St Kilda were the same. You know, two thousand and nine, Geelong played St Kilda in an amazing grand final. Mm. Um, and sort of midway through that year, we played St Kilda and Geelong in consecutive weeks, I think, and got really close. Didn't beat them, got, got really close. Then we finished the back half of the year really strong. And um, I remember going into the prelim against Geelong thinking, I think we were the favourites, but all our boys knew that to get to where we've got to go, we've got to get past. It's almost like the big brother. You've got to, it's got to try and get past these guys. And um, I remember the, the moment when I thought, you know, we've got these guys in a bit of trouble was when, Gaz got the ball in the first quarter in the back line and he's sort of looking around what to do, what to do. And he's, you know, the bit better than anyone at just finding a target. And he ended up just booting it. And I thought, I reckon we've got, got him pressured and we've got him in a really good spot. Now we've got to capitalise. And yeah, I think we kicked, I don't know, seven or eight goals in the first quarter and put a pretty gap in the game. But, it was over then, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that, just that frontal pressure and just wanting to squeeze their handball game coming out of the, the half back line. You remember that, Podsy? Yeah, no, I do. I reckon that the game really changed around that sort of time. And um, playing in 2010, there was a couple of teams that were really challenging as a key forward to play against. And it was um, Collingwood, um, St Kilda, and a little bit of Adelaide as well. I reckon that they sort of um, really tried to enforce that whole team defensive approach and supporting each other. I remember you know, Nick's, Nick Maxwell at the time yep. would always come third in, so you'd never get a one-on-one with... Um, I'm not sure whether who was your key back. You know, Nathan Brown, ben Nathan Reed. Brown. Yeah, yeah, those guys were you know, absolute young young guns, and you'd never get them one on one. And St Kilda were the same. Um, and I think Geelong in that time, um, you know, really relied on that one v one contest. You know, Bomber taught that from from day dot, and our defenders were were like that. And I think uh, we can talk about 2011, but you know, one thing that Chris Scott came came and did, he actually um, changed that whole sort of team defensive approach um, and. You know, we, I think I remember, I've, t- I've told this story a little time, a few times, is as a key forward, the way you used to put pressure on is chasing down opponents. Mm. So you'd chase them behind and, and tackle. And I reckon in 2011, the game sort of changed where you'd be up, up in front of the ball and the way you'd actually apply pressure is um, getting in someone's face and pressing them. Um, and I reckon from Geelong, there was a couple of teams that were doing it in 2011. And then as you see now, like the majority of teams are you know, getting their defense up and actually pressing uh, a lot more. So that was probably the flipping mm. point. It was a crazy time at Geelong around that period because I think Gazza left that year, Bomber Thompson left that year, and new coach, you came in and you went on to win the, fl- the flag. Um, but can you remember what it was like the time the Cats with those two massive names and personalities leaving the footy club? Yeah, I remember it was, uh, it was obviously a little bit eerie that um, Bomber was such a presence and, and Gaz was the best player in the comp. Um, but I remember, I remember Chris Scott coming in and he was, I, I think he was only in his third year as a, as a coach, but his, his clarity, uh, and his, his ability to actually give everyone a role and go, just execute this, um, as a team was, um, second to none. It was the best I've seen in my, in my time in football. Um, so I think that, that really, um, just shored up the group and we had a lot of talent. Um, we had a pretty good preseason. Everyone was pretty healthy and, and fit. Uh, and Scotty coming in, just changing that sort of, um, I think that that language about team and, and, and clarity was really important. So what was the strength of Bomber? Well, how do you compare the two? Um, it's a good question. Bomber only coached me for a year. I sort of yep. worked under him for, for a year. Yep. Um, I mean, Bomber, Bomber was exceptionally good and Brendan McCartney and Kenny Hinckley at the time as well yep. um, at, at teaching um, players around the contest. So how to actually win your own ball um, and then move it pretty quickly. So that was Bomber's, Bomber's strength, and I saw that 
from behind the scenes as a fitness coach, mm. but also as a, as a player. So um, the ability to t- teach contests, I think, was you know, is really important, and Bomber did that well. And he had a, had an edge about him, Bomber, didn't he? Like, yeah. I reckon you knew when you're in Mark Thompson's company. He just had a. Did you feel that? Or was that just a? Is that just a no, young journal in me? You did, and I reckon 2010, my first year, he probably mellowed a little bit. He'd won two premierships, and he probably wasn't as ed- as edge as on and on edge as a, as he was probably in. 06 or 07 with the other guys so I didn't see it he coached me Bomber in a state game did he the Victoria versus Dream Team game yeah and I was 19 or 20 and he had like this presence about him yeah he did like I knew where he was at all times (laughs) and I was 19 or 20 and like like if he said g'day to me I was like jumpy like g'day g'day Bomber (laughs) and we had a team meeting I'll never forget I was sitting there like this is going to be amazing like he's going to be so good I'm going to learn so much here and he's like righto like for for kick-ins Scarlo, you tell the boys what we're going to do for kick-ins. <laughs> and for kick it, just like basically like the whole – the players just run the show. And then he's like, over to you boys now. Go do your thing. And That's I was gold. like oh, – I didn't oh, – so I was like, and I go, Scarlo, like, what, do, what do I do? And he's like – Scarlo just goes, if you just stay in like the corridor, we'll hit you. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, it's just very much Geelong or what? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you had a presence. Don't worry about that. That's yeah. gold. I love it. You skipped forward to 2011. You had some redemption. You come up against the Pies again in the 2011 um, Grand Final. And it was you guys who jumped out to an early lead, um, Scotty. But yep. then the game changed. Podsy, you hurt your shoulder. Yep. Went off the ground. And the cats lifted as a result. Yeah. Um, that's true. It's a true story. <laughs> you, made, uh, you made like structural change, though, when you went out. I still remember. I think it was like you, you went out. Jimmy Bartel went more forward. Yeah. For some reason, like we just could not. Like Hawkins went into beast mode as like, I don't know. He must have just thought I better lift here because Pods has gone down, yeah. leading a goal kicking, and just literally just marked everything. And then handballed to Stevie J who kicked the goal for him. Yeah. Now he was massive that day, Hawk. I remember going back four weeks earlier. We played Collingwood in the last round of the year, and we I think we Smashed beat you by about a hundred points. Yeah. Um, and now top of the table. We were second, so I think they finished first. We finished second at the end of the year. Um, so going into the grand final, we just thought there's no way that Collingwood can turn around a 100-point loss. Yeah. So we were pretty confident going into the game. Um, and then, yeah, look, I, my game was pretty um, uh, ended pretty abruptly and pretty early in the, in the second quarter. But, yeah, I mean, Hawkey was one of those – had one of those years where he was in and out of the side a little bit. And I remember towards the end of the year, um, it was – I think it was sort of out of him and Moons and, and the last – couple of weeks before the end of the year, the Collingwood game last round, he actually just took a few clunks and his final series was it was exceptional and um, it was almost like the boy became a man on mm-hmm. grand final day and um, Jimmy Vartel I think might have won the Norm Smith yeah. that day and, and went forward and kicked a couple of goals. But, yeah. Um, yeah, there's yeah. one before halftime, remember from the Ruck, well I do, Joel's hit it on the full through the points and so it was deliberate yes. and then Bartel kicked that snap just before halftime, they got another one just before halftime because I think we almost had his on the ropes. I reckon we were like almost like 17 or yeah. 24 points up. Cloakie was kicking him from the boundary. Yeah, and then it just went like bang, bang, and all of a sudden it was like a draw again. Yeah. And it was like that moment in time where yeah, we just right. lost momentum. And then it was even close at three-quarter time. And yeah. then once you boys got on top and it was almost like like Grand Finals 10, you look at the time, there's not enough time here to close that gap. Then it just went like bang, 40 yep. points before we knew it. Yeah. That last, that last game of the year, I think I've said this before, it's like almost like the – Hardest game I've ever played in because the they couldn't time. change yeah. ladder positions. No. We couldn't. And it was literally like Mick used to say, it was like dancing with your sister yeah. at a formal or something like that. It was just, we, it was like everyone, nobody wanted to get hurt, hurt yeah. in it. But yeah. the damage that I think that we did to ourselves was like we didn't 
play anywhere near. We almost didn't want to contact. Yeah. Whereas you guys come out and it's like, we can do some damage here mentally, which I think they did. They planted that little seed that, you know, you, we probably could have copped losing by 30 points, but losing by 100 definitely mm. gave them a lot more confidence than we needed to give them. It was, a, it was a fantastic sort of period of time when you look back at it, like for supporters in particular and Collingwood supporters that, you know, um, 09, 2010 and 2011 for, you know, Geelong supporters in particular. But I reckon Collingwood had a, um, a fantastic bunch of players and a, and a pretty good game plan and a great coach. It would have been awesome yeah. sitting in the stands watching some of those Geelong um, Collingwood games. Well, I, I played one in 07, my second year prelim versus Geelong when Autumn. Geelong had half the All-Australian side and yeah. we had none. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we played them at the MCG on a Friday night and we're sort of nipping at their heels all game and we kept, it was like around five points all night and I remember the siren went on half forward as Scotty Burns won the clearance and kicked it in and the siren went. Uh, yeah. I remember we were so close and all mm. week though we built that up about these guys are the All-Australian side, like nobody rates us, like Mick was brilliant and like yeah. we went out there like seething, like yeah. <laughs> no one rates us, we're it's no amazing, chance man. and like we... what he does to you. Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, Geelong went on and won the grand final by 100 and some points, record yeah. margin, but... Yeah, we've had some, like, since I've been playing, like, Hawthorne, Geelong, easily, like, the two most dominant sides, but it's always been, yeah. from a Collingwood point of view, awesome playing against them. Yeah. yeah. And I'm wondering if that's the, was that the Brad Ottens game? The 2007 prelim? Yeah, where, where he went he, bananas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah dominated. That round, round 23 game in 2011, I reckon, and we may have mentioned this before, I reckon it was the only time that I've seen you not go in the cot. There was a, do you remember there was a bouncing ball on the goal line, like full back late in the third quarter, maybe? How do you remember this? No, nah, <laughs> because I've got like a, oh yeah, I remember most of them. Yeah. There was one contest and you just didn't want to be a part of nah, it. And I'll you let the ball go yeah. over. And that just was the interesting psyche of the go, game. Yeah, go over. It's not worth getting hurt. Yeah. For a final series. In, interesting then with your move to Adelaide, Podsy. Yeah. Like, particularly now with the Jared Ruffhead situation, who is a guy who um, clearly wanted to go on and Alec Cawthorn coach Alistair Clarkson flagged, you know, where he might be a bit of VFL time. How did you handle that, that part of your career? Because you obviously thought there was some gas in the tank, Geelong it wasn't going to work out, and then Adelaide came late. Can you explain? Yeah, end of 2017, I mean, yeah. I, had, I had a pretty good chat with Scotty, um, a couple of times and probably didn't see um, see it coming. Like I think um, when we sort of spoke at the start of finals, I was um, looking at another contract the year after and then we lost, I think, our first final to Frio maybe uh, down at Geelong yeah. and then um, we beat just beat Port and then we lost to Hawthorne at the G by a goal. There's a Sean Burgon goal. Um, I think that's just the whole thing at Geelong should have changed and they wanted to go a different way. Um the last thing I was was like frustrated or angry at that decision. I mean, when a club gives you an opportunity, um, you know, four or five years earlier, um, you can't be dirty on them making a move, um, to go in a different direction. So I wasn't, um, dirty at all. Um, I would have loved to have stayed there and, and played potentially another year. Um, you know, you had good mates there. I thought the coaching staff were fantastic. I was still learning a lot. Uh, I was pretty motivated to be successful. So that motivation was there. Um, and the other thing I could see was actually really tough for Scotty to actually, make some of the decisions he had to make um not just him but some of the other um, list management at the time so you could he- sort of hear it and see it in his voice when he's sort of telling you that we're not going to offer you a contract so um i'm not sure too many players probably say this but you actually feel for mm-hmm. coaches at that point in time um and then fortunate for me i think um you know a couple of weeks later i caught up with david noble in adelaide and sort of talked about footy and and where i sort of saw myself and how I could sort of help a group and then um, what I wanted to do post-football as well. So that sort of um, ducks aligned, I suppose. And 
I think that's one of, one of the things I've noticed from my playing career is guys that have good rapport with people, build good relationships at football clubs. That goes like, it just goes through the industry and everyone knows that. And um, it, go, it works the other way as well. Like if you, you know, say if you got delisted, you crack the shits. Um, guys know that as well. And it goes around. And as you mentioned before, like a guy like Ruffy mm. doing what he did in the VFL. Yeah. I think I heard some commentary. Like there's going to be 17 clubs at the end of season, oh, yeah. if not they're not 18. already inquiring yeah. about what his, what his plans are in the next stage of his career. Yeah. Because this is like, you know, I don't, like, don't know pods that well, but you can get by listening to you talk, like you would have had great relationships at Geelong, team first attitude, and it just ricochets. So I'm not surprised. Mm. You know, a guy like you, Ruffy, like the opportunities is always going to come. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, it's easily get this sort of sense of entitlement when you play AFL footy and it's like, well, I've been here, I've been successful, I've played well, part of the team, just keep me on or sign me for more money or whatever it is. But uh, our industry is not like that. I mean, it, you come along pretty quickly and you get spat out pretty quickly as well. Um, I think it's just uh, it's just part of the industry and uh, and I was okay at the time. That said, boys, would it be hard for Ruffy? I mean, he played at the MCG in the Kurt VFL Curtain Razor this week. What about when he goes out to Frankston, plays in front of 100 people? It's a four-time premiership legend, future Hall of Famer. You guys have played it. Would that be hard? Would that be... Oh, I think no doubt when you get home on a Thursday night and you know that you're not on the AFL list, that'd be hard. But it, Ruffy's always been a guy that's always team first and he would understand that his, his role at the moment is to go down there, play well for himself, play well for the team and he knows that his form will decide if he gets back in. But mm. there's a bigger picture tour and that's developing the next wave of guys and he'll probably take great satisfaction in seeing the next wave of guys come through. And, you know, I've got no, I've got no doubts personally that I think Ruffy will get more senior football but the way he handles himself um, is first class. But no doubt it would be tough. It would be tough on anyone having mm-hmm. to go back and, and play VFL football, I think. The difficult part of that is I don't reckon it matters so much about his form. He kicked five goals at the weekend. He could kick ten goals next week. I reckon it's about what Mitch Lewis does and Connor Nash. That's I reckon that, for me, would be the most difficult part because, in a way, I don't know, I don't know how much it matters how well he's going to play on the weekend because Clarko's got the big picture and he's looking ahead to next year. And I think, yeah. it, I think it helps if he's playing good footy, though. He's yep. playing good footy and a, a door gets pushed ajar. Yeah. But yeah, there's no, like, you also would, I'd he'd imagine he'd be, he played well, but then he sees how well Hawthorne played and he'd probably think, you know, I'm, I'm here be for this another week. couple of weeks. There's some, there's some silver lining. Um, Pendles wouldn't have uh, experienced this. My last year at Adelaide, um, I didn't play an AFL game. And I remember driving to Sample games. I probably played about eight or eight or nine games um, in the Sample that year. And driving to the game, you're thinking, what am I doing? Like, I'm going to a like, subpar venue. There's shocking change rooms. And some of the players I actually don't know. They're top ups from the country and stuff. How are you, mate? Yeah, Pods yeah, are here. No, yeah. Pods, how are you going? <laughs> um, so, Pendles didn't experience that. But um, once the ball bounces, it's like a game of footy. And it's like, how, how funny is this? There's, a, there's this pressure element that sort of gets removed when you play at that level. And it's like back to the enjoyment factor of what, what it was like when you played. Um, when you were growing up and, you know, school footy and that. So I actually really enjoyed um, seeing some of the younger guys and playing with them and the enthusiasm that they have. Mm. So I'm sure Ruffy would be experiencing that at the moment. The silver lining is, is probably that. Coaching his uh, opponents, his next level. Uh, yeah, that's field. next level. <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, that's yeah. why he's the world's uh, best bloke. And you're absolutely right, Scotty. While all 18 clubs will be desperately trying to get him um, 
in some sort of coaching welfare admin role next year. He should be top of everyone's list. And uh, we all love him. He's a big fan of the podcast too, Ruffy. Yeah, okay. Okay. Give him a shout out. Soon. Yeah, we got, we, got him, uh, we got him lined up. Hey, um, you're a very powerful man now, Podsy. Not only a astute businessman <laughs> and a goal-kicking machine, you're uh, also, along with David Rath, Amongst the brains trust there who are in charge of um, really shaping the future direction for the game, um, tell us about your role and why that appealed um, before we get into some of the more nitty-gritty. Yeah, I think uh, the role came along um, off the back of 2017 after finishing coaching with the Crows. Um, Steve Hocking gave me a call and, and sort of said, what are you doing? And um, he sort of said that there's a, an opportunity to be like a stakeholder management um, person at the, at the club, so basically liaising with with clubs and players and the PA and, and um, coaches and, and whatnot um, back to the AFL. So that's sort of how it started. And then um, as the preseason sort of got going, we sort of started to develop a game analysis team. Um, so, you know, having the coaching background, I was able to sort of fit in there. And then there was this, um, you know, this whole rhetoric for the last probably, let's call it five or six years about congestion in the game. Can the game be better? Um, so the executive, um, the commission just wanted us to have a look at it. Basically, so um, all all my role was is basically trying to develop a process that as many people in the industry can have their say on what they believe um, should be the future of the game. Um, so you know, as much as it, it gets made out to be that um, Hawk or myself or Rathi make changes or think changes, we actually went to the industry and thought, what are all the ideas? And there was I think there was fifty at the time. Um, what ones can we actually implement? Uh, and the objectives were about you know giving players more time and space in the game. Um, you know, advancing the game for our fans and, um, you know, seeing some strategic tension from coaches. So with that in mind, um, you're very limited on what you can do, but, um, we're trying to, we try to achieve those objectives. So we came up with, I think, with about nine different changes at the time, but, um, not we, but, um, we implemented, I suppose, nine different changes. How are you feeling eight rounds into the, uh, new season? Yeah, it's probably more of a question for, for Pendles because, you know, we watch the game as fans. There's, there's clearly some um, benefits to um, the 6-6-6, six, six and six. Um, you know, personally, I, I think. I mean, the game looks like it stays around for longer. You know, guys like um, Pendles and the danger fields of the world look like they've got a bit more time in the centre bounce to, to clear the ball and, and execute their skills. And I think that'll actually grow and develop as we, as we go along. I think these guys probably the last... Um, six or seven years have been have grabbed a contested ball and beaten one person but the next person's been on top of them straight away I reckon they're now starting to work out that once they beat that first person they can actually get a clear clear disposal and that second layer of defense isn't there as quick um, so I reckon once the players actually evolve there um, that level of skill might actually increase and help help the ball clear that area um, but it's probably over to Pendles to sort of see what he thinks of well, we spoke about it after round one. Yeah, I was like, I was, and I you was were a bit anti-change. Remember? Yeah, that? I, I was, and I, I still, I still like to give the game time to work itself out because I think when you understand the mindset of a coach, it's not tell me what the rule is; it's how can I exploit the rule. Mm. That's how they think. But I think six, Crafty. six, and six is literally the rule you can't exploit. Like, there's no way, um, other than deliberately getting a warning, which I don't know. You can argue teams try and do, mm. um, but. You know, like you look at the Melbourne Gold Coast game, when Gold Coast got that, what was it, five points up? That was yep. last year, that game's over. Yeah. 18, or what do you put 15 blokes behind the footy? Yeah, exactly. No score. Whereas when you watch it now, <clears throat> like I was watching that game and I'm tuning in, I'm like, Melbourne win this out of the clearance, they have a chance to win the game, which is, I think, which keeps everyone excited. Where I didn't, I, you know, round one, I said I 
like it gave us a chance to get in front. But then when we got in front, I was like, geez, I'd love to put people back here. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, then Geelong got the next clearance. They went in front. But then it's our chance again to go back the other way. So as, as Potsy said, I think as time develops, sides will get a better understanding of how to exploit it for so long. As you said, like as a centre bounce player, I was, I had four people coming in off either side and wingers flying in. You had two half forwards that started at half back, bolt through, and you had players coming from everywhere. And now you actually see guys take it out of the centre bounce, have a bit of time and space, handball it forward, break easy line. play, break a line, have shots from centre bounce clearances. I reckon it's a much better look for the game. And just to reiterate what Pendle said about like, coaches, at the end of the day, like, um, the AFL implement rule changes, um, players are at different levels and different talents, but the reality of it is that it's a multifaceted approach to the way the game is played, the way it's executed, the stats in the game, and it's mainly to do with coaching and coaching tactics and evolution of, of that as well. So, um, you know, it'd be remiss for us to think that um, putting a couple of rule changes in the game is going to increase this stat or that stat mm. um, because, you know, the tactics in the game are so far in advance than what they were 10 years ago. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the... Six, six, and six is quite um, exciting for fans, I think. I really like it. As an observer of the game, interesting Don Pike's comments at the weekend. He thought it was a bit more contested, um, but I like the sort of one-on-one contest, especially um, late in the game, Scotty. The one the one query I had around um, Podsy, it was, did you need to be as urgent? Because it felt like it happened in a rush last year, and then you trialled it at state league level, and, and I just wondered, and I'm interested to know what your thoughts would uh, why didn't you let it go for a year in the VFL and other competitions to have a really good look at it? Because it did seem yeah, like it a, came in really quickly. It's a good question. I think it's sort of been some of the stuff's been talked about for a number of years. So it was probably the first team to come and actually do a fair bit of work on it and do some some research. And I think that if you look at the other rule changes, I mean the the main one is the six six and six is the one that's probably changed it the most. I mean the the kicking being able to play on. I mean. Um, it hasn't really changed the game too much. I mean, you, as a as an offensive team, you still get the ball through 18 players. So we never thought that that was going to increase scoring just because you could cross the line or move the guy back five metres. Um, but we might start to see some more creativity in that space um, going forward. And most of the other changes have been interpretation. It's really like the the hands in the back one. That was actually never a rule in our game. That Tick. was like that one. Yeah. 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 So that's that was um, something that bought, was bought in probably about 15 years ago. Um, so that was just basically going back to that. Um, the rucks being able to take the ball out of the ruck. Um, I mean, that's something that's just, I think you've seen more ruck when now clear the ball. Yeah. Collingwood's got a pretty strong ruck been in Grundy. I've seen that, seen, yeah, yeah. seen him do it a few times. So. Do you like that one, Scotty? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah, I like that. And like Matthew Cruiser did it four times for centre bounces on the weekend, grabbed it, tried to clear it. But yeah. you still get a chance to actually do that. Whereas yeah. in previous years, as soon as you touch him, it's a free kick. He could clear the ball, but it's like you just had to touch him. Yeah. It's a yeah. free kick. Even. I spoke about the hands in the back rule potentially has that ability to change the game back where defenders can't position so aggressively in front anymore because they used to just push back as hard as they wanted. And if you just put your hand there to protect your space, it was a free kick. Whereas yeah. now, if you want to position that aggressively and the kick goes over the top, you can put your hand there. Mm. Away yeah. you go. So that will, I reckon that will be one of those things that over time sides think, geez, we can't position as aggressively. Mm. Because we've got to actually, we can't just back back and get a sort of a cheap way out. Mm. Yeah. So most of them have just been like interpretation changes, Jay, really, to be honest. And I think um, to the players' credit, I mean, they worked on over one preseason and we haven't had um, too many issues. I mean, the 50 metre penalty might frustrate oh. fans, but the, the reason. What the, did you think of the Tommy Phillips call, Scotty? I was actually on the bench. And because we get shown all this stuff in the preseason, yep. yeah. uh, I was on the bench and 
I seen him give away the 50 and the Carlton bloke take off. And I seen Flipper go to chase him. And I was like, oh, no, he's going to give away another 50. <laughs> so we knew the rule. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just his competitive instinct, wants to get in front. Um, and then you hear people like, you know, it's not a good look for the game. But we actually know the rule. Um, you know, we actually use it as an example, again, just an education. Like pretty much if you give away a 50 and the guy gets past you, just get out of the play and let someone else take the mark. Hand over. And then what happened though, next play is Crispy got oh, a 50. Yeah. The Carlton guy just said like, nah, I'm out of the play. He run up. No one took the mark. Then we got a goal from it. So um, I like it because I was sick of that one where, you know, you'd have 50, the guy would run a tiny bit in front of you. You'd try and run. He'd like block you. You'd give you So that back. was deliberate? Which one? The, the the cramping of the 50 meter penalty? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. And yeah. that's the, that's Explo- the thing. Exploiting the rule. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Like you get rewarded with a 50 meter penalty if someone's either thrown a ball at you or pushed you too late or whatever it is. So yeah. why should, how do you not get rewarded for that when then the team just basically sends 18 players behind the ball and you can't actually take advantage of the 50. So um, that came about, uh, I think it was an idea from someone from the industry actually and we sort of put it through the um, put it through the test and I think it's going to be okay. But do you need games to be high scoring or higher scoring, Scotty? No, I don't think you do. I think the whole scoring thing will work itself out. Um, what, one thing the AFL can't do is come out and make the decision going inside 50 for you. Hmm. It's one of the hardest things to do and I think that's why players that can do it Wellesley, Gary Ablett, guys like that, it sets them apart. Um, and, they, and the other one, one thing that's never changed with our industry is goal kicking hovers around 55, 60% accuracy for set shots for goal. Yeah. So they can't come do that work for you. And I think over time, as the rules implement, like in the back end of this season, clubs get used to it. There'll be ways that they think, righto, we tried to do this, didn't work, let's just simplify it again. And the sides that simplify it the most, and I think last year's granny with us on West Coast was 77, 72. It's a pretty good game. Yeah. West Coast Sydney Grand Final 2006 was a pretty good game. Scoring isn't a Nirvana, I think, and I think the AFL get a lot of pressure on on that in that space. But um, I agree with Pendles. I don't think scoring is the is the um, the answer. I mean, um, goal kicking traditionally has been about 54 percent. It's sitting this year at forty five accuracy. Accuracy. So you know, you increase that to fifty, even you're at like to 2016, 2015 sort of levels. So kick straight, um, Scotty. Take the pressure off Gil. I don't get, I don't get, I don't get set shots, mate. I'll kick him to Geordie and Geordie misses. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, scoring gets talked about a lot. And at the end of the day, we interviewed our fans, we, we sort of surveyed our fans last year and mm. everyone loves scoring, everyone loves goal kickers and whatnot. Yep. It's a part of our game that people love, but it's not the um, be all and end all. You were a very good set shot, weren't you? Uh, well, right, your technique, you were a, a dead okay. eye. I was like, okay. So that, means that means he's above average. You were very good. <laughs> you had a bit, very uh, beautiful technique. All right, last yeah. one on this, uh, Podsy. Do you think you'll make more at the end of the year? Um, I, I actually don't know, Jay, to be to be fair. I'm, as you know, I'm, I'm, AFL Max is taking a fair bit of my time at the moment. Yeah. So I'm at, I'm, uh, at the AFL uh, a day a day a week. So sort of part-time operator, Podsy. Yeah, no, I'm still part of the game analysis team and, and we're looking at that. But um, I think, as Pendle said, like the back half of the year, I think the game will settle. And sometimes it's just letting the game settle and letting the coaches actually, you know, to dump um, sort of eight or nine changes on coaches, they probably focus on that during the preseason. Uh, next preseason, if there's no changes, they might actually, um, you know, start talking a few different tactics on how they actually expose the rules a bit differently. So yep. I'm not sure. The amount of, the amount of work, because I, I watched a few clubs train over preseason just to see what they do. 
the amount of hang time. on you went you went on your summer holiday you went and hung no, out no no watched... like so while we train so after we train yeah over just go and watch other teams walk train. down to melbourne yeah. and just yeah. see what they do you need to get out the, more scott the, the amount of times i've <laughs> seen teams, so good, the teams <laughs> practicing kick-ins to try and exploit the rule yeah i was like you're not how, how you think you're going to exploit it you've got an extra five meters and it's not yep and everyone's more like, yeah but you don't really because the zone just moves back five meters and you just force them into a pocket like but yeah, it's amazing the amount of times clubs. I reckon now would sit back and go, "Geez, we wasted a lot of time on kicking." You know, weren't really that, <laughs> yeah. that vital. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just one more um, issue, mate. It's been great to be able to sit down and uh, have issue. a chat. This is scary. No, no, it's, this is a, <laughs> this is a half folly, mate. Yeah. The mid the mid season draft, man. You're a great mature age yeah. pickup, and we saw we see Tim Kelly. I mean, the decision at the time for Geelong to keep this man. Almost against his family's will. Clearly, his family wanted to go back to Perth. They kept him. They made it work, and now he's a genuine Brownlow contender. It's an unbelievable story. This guy, maybe eight hundred thousand. Even it's been touted as a million dollar a year player. It's phenomenal. Um, what do you think about the mid season draft and the opportunity it presents clubs um, to get someone who's ready to go? Well, you, well, your um, your word there about opportunity is the, is the key. I mean. Um, if you look at other sports around the world, I mean, um, Scott, I'm sure is a big NBA fan and. Um, and even just other businesses, like everyone's got an opportunity to actually progress their career and develop. So if we can open up windows um, at the AFL where players can come in and get into the elite system in different ways, yeah. uh, I'm all for it. Um, personally, I think uh, if clubs can either, um, you know, fill a need uh, this year or fill a need into the future and use it, um, I think it's I think it's great. And the, the more Tim Kelly's out there that there, there are, um, the better. I think it too. I think it will strengthen the second tier comp in the VFL waffle. How could that. it strengthen? You're going to take players from it. No, but I think you'll strengthen it because more guys will stay in those leagues right. at the chance of playing yeah. AFL football. Whereas after you know, if you have to play a whole season and wait just for one opportunity, you don't get it. Play it for a whole season, don't get an opportunity. Probably not too many guys do what pods do and stick it out. They mm. play three or four years and think, oh, bugger this, I'm, I'm cashing out He's in the country. He's a smart man, Pendles. Where, yeah, um, isn't he? Because that was the first thing that came to the AFL was like, you're going to weaken the second-tier comps by um, taking players away. But I, I think if I was in those posi- in that position, I'd actually stay longer and, and go, you know what, even some of the players that get delisted from the AFL, you've had some um, players recently from Collingwood get delisted and they're playing VFL now. Yeah, you Sam McClarty is yep. like one delisted last year. Massive chance. Whereas if he back on the radar, yeah. So I think he's potentially a chance to get uh, mid-season. But those guys potentially like delisted from AFL. I'm not playing VFL. I'm not going to wait a whole year for the opportunity. Whereas yeah. now it's like I might get picked up in half a year's time. So it's worth mm. the time and the investment to stay ready and, and ready for that AFL call up. How many clubs have got picks, Jay? Do you know? Uh, last count, it was. 15 and then Sean Grigg retired so maybe that's 16 is that right that's pretty high yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think I don't think Fremantle has one yeah I can't remember the other two um, Sam Lawson's a guy from Coburg he's a 23 year old carpenter lightning quick forward he's the man we're sort of talking about as going potential number one um so, I mean, if a chippy comes on straight onto an AFL list and potentially plays senior footy in the back half of the year. Just, good story. Just yeah. a brilliant, brilliant story. You know, what, just before we let you go, Podsy, yep. what's your advice to, so, to the Sam Lawsons out there? They're 25-year-old plumbers who are talented players, maybe didn't have the dedication, you know, but there's something still inside them you think they can make, you think they can play the top level. What would be your advice to those guys who might be listening yeah, now? Yeah, I, th- I think what I learnt was that um, – Playing at that or getting to play at that elite level is sort of a little bit out of your control. But the only thing that's in your control is being the best player you can be. Yeah. So um, you know, focus on the things that coaches tell you from a feedback perspective and the things you need to work on. And you don't, you never know who's going to knock on your door. So there's there's an element of luck 
in our industry and right time, right place sort of thing. So, but it changed um, your life in a pretty significant way, right? Like you were doing your fitness course and yep. playing VFL footy. And then you're winning an AFL premiership and now running in the headquarters. <laughs> like it was a big sliding doors moment for yourself. Yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely was. Um, I didn't think of it like that, Jay, actually. <laughs> I just sort of take one day as it comes. And, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was life changing. But, um, um, the, the reason why it was life changing is because you actually get to experience, um, an elite environment yep. and you get to make some really good friends and, and some really good mates along the way too. So, Podsy, we appreciate your time here on the Jock and Journo show, mate. You're a magnificent uh, player. It was a absolute, was a tremendous story in football really because I reckon you changed some of the club's thinking the way with the impact you had at uh, and Geelong and clearly you've made some amazing relationships because uh, that's why you're running uh, AFL headquarters and Gillen McLaughlin's <laughs> sure right in, man, uh, now. So uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the Jock and Journo no, show. Thanks and just a couple of Pipes for me just to clear, get panels on the Mount Mary wine uh, wine list. Yes, that's number one, and then send you guys some tickets to AFL Max when when she opens. Yeah, in, I need in June. enrollment for AFL yeah. Max for Jacks. Yes, <laughs> yes. And you'll probably need three balls wise there because you're still everyone else's. We'll do. Wait till you have Thanks, three mate. of them, Scotty. You just <laughs> chuck them all in there and shut <laughs> yeah, their go for it. And and head, let straight straight go. head straight to the cafe. On the Podsy. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Thanks mate. guys. Oh, I love the chat with Podsy. What a star. Very intelligent, capable man. No wonder he's uh, conquering business as well as football. Scotty? Love having a guest in. You can really delve into some issues. And it's so, yeah, it's so good to hear him talk about what they were trying to do, even the mid season stuff at the moment. Like, yep. the inspiration he would be for guys. Like, he's really the guy who opened up the whole, you're older than 22, you can get on a list still. And yep. the amount of players that would be playing VFL that get told about his story would be unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, an absolute star. I remember it being massive news when he did get the call up. Hey, uh, let before we get uh, welcome Braden Cox and uh, get your Twitter questions because there have been some pearlers uh, over the past week after your uh, narrow win over Carlton. But in the NBA, it's what a playoff series we've got at the moment, Scotty. And the Kawhi Leonard buzzer beater. I think it was the only Game 7 yep. winning buzzer beater shot in, in history. M- NBA history. Bounced four times off the rim yeah. and sunk. Yeah. What a moment. Yeah. So we'll, yesterday we had the review of the Carlton game. So uh, it was one thirty or something, the review. And everyone walking into the review was sort of had their phone. And like I had my phone, I was watching Philly versus um, Toronto and walked in and Bucks asked the IT guy, can you put this on the big screen? So we got it up on the big screen with like 30 seconds left. No. So the review wow. supposed to start. So we're all just sitting there watching like NBA. Um, so the review had to wait. The review waited, which is <laughs> unbelievable. So we're all sitting there, um, you know, Kawhi misses one of the free throws. Anyway, Jimmy Buckets goes all the way down and get the layup, four seconds to go. Um, just sitting there and I was actually sitting next to Bucks at the time and just sitting there watching it and then see that unfold, you know, his four bounces, gets to his spot, rises up, scores. The whole theaterette, like we had probably 60, 70 people in there. Like it just went up. Like it was like we were there live. Like Sick. Massive screen. Yeah, it was so good. And it's, I love that, you know, we do that as a club. Like we watch Super Bowl. You watch all these big games because as much as it sit there and it's a cool moment, you also can learn a bit mm. about how they perform under pressure. You watch the close games. You watch how teams execute. Um, but yeah, the shot was unbelievable. Like his last quarter was unbelievable. And even listening to talk after the game about, how it wasn't just fluke, like he's practiced that shot. He had a game winner earlier um, in the year where he had three seconds left. So he took three bounces and got his shot off. This game he had four seconds, so he knew he could have an extra bounce. He'd missed a shot 
from that same spot earlier in the quarter. So he just wanted to give that more air. Like there's so much detail he spoke about in his post-game press conference that I listened to just about like these guys that are that good. That there is no such thing as luck with these guys. Like he knew what he was doing. He spoke about it. he wanted to give it a chance to go in and yeah, it's one of the best shots. And even the all the photos that have come out after Amazing. it where he's on the ground, uh, one of the bench guys looks like he's trying to surf. Um, Joel Embiid's like just staring like it's unbelievable. Like that's going to be some cool art that someone's going to have in his house. Kawhi will probably get it done first. What did you think about his decision to go to the corner? Well, yeah, a- spoke, so he spoke after the game about the reason why and that's that's one of his p- preferred spots on the floor to shoot from. Um, and it's the short, the short three, even though it was a two. Um, and he needed to get some separation. So he thought if he caught the ball at the top of the key, like a few hard dribbles one way, forces the defense to move. So... Mm. That was just, that was the spot he felt comfortable. Um, yeah, and the rest is history. And it was amazing that yeah we could sit there live and watch that. I would have been so filthy. I, I probably would have been watching my phone if Bucks had started just in the corner. I would have yahooed at the first edit he showed or something. But yeah, we got to watch it, which was unreal. Who's your tip to win it from here quickly? Uh, I think Golden State. Still. I just I love the final matchups though, like mm. Portland Golden State, like. Clay Thompson, Steph Curry versus CJ and Dame. Yeah. And then Kawhi Leonard versus the Greek Freak. I think it's going to be amazing. Um, East West Coast final series. Unbelievable matchup. That will be. Um, should we recap Game of Thrones quickly? Have we all seen it? Loved it. Wait, you got to spoilers and give everyone a pause. Yeah, true. Okay. Well, they can. They've, they've fast paused. Rewind. Or That's the end of the episode for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Game of Thrones. It was an uncomfortable watch. What? I found it offset, off, um, off-putting. Unsettling. Found wow. unsettling. Um, just too much violence for you, Jay. Yeah, Daenerys too aggressive. Just the the burning of people over uh, over an extended period. I mean, I loved how the script flipped. So the script flipped. So we 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 didn't like Cersei, and then we loved Daenerys, and then all of a sudden in the second last episode, we're suddenly feeling human emotion for Cersei. Like what? who was? I yeah, was oh, mate. The, 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 there was the, empathy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, me. don't you reckon? No. How did you view it? I was I so. It all got set up the the fact that she said like fear is the choice because she didn't feel like she had followers. Daenerys, like the only choice for her, I felt to get true leadership was through fear. She didn't. Jon Snow has the people already, so he, she wasn't going to be more loved than Jon Snow. It's a move Not, of desperation. So the fear and the dragon certainly struck fear into the heart of everybody, and now everyone's going to follow her. Mm. So it's now the next episode is how do the Starks unseat Daenerys that's where I think Aya comes into play there's not much time to let it settle is no, there no and I love that all done no I feel it's been a bit when rushed. that bell rang I was like it's on like 100% because John didn't kiss her the way she wanted to be kissed yeah so <laughs> the fear it was their auntie he's yeah. auntie but they've done more than <laughs> that's kiss that's a bit awkward they've done more than kiss so. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure uh, if you've ever kissed your auntie Scott but it's a yeah. different the kind fear. of peck on the cheek Mate, the fear <laughs> was although I would have liked to have seen Cersei and Daenerys a little bit closer eye to eye not a stare off from 50k's away yeah Yeah. unpopular opinion I liked how Cersei died a lot of people didn't like it but I thought unceremoniously I thought romantic even though they're kind of brother sister and that whole weird Jamie. but them going down and literally her kingdom collapses on her it crumbles down on her and I thought that was good I think a lot of people miss that that like her kingdom kingdom crashed down on her her empire's gone what did they want like a lot of if, if they had everyone had, wanted her to be killed by 10 different people yeah but if they had Arya come in or, or anyone else come in that's just satisfying the fandom that's just 
and and they haven't done that. They haven't done that yeah. the whole way through. So yeah. mm-hmm. I thought that was liked a good. good I like the episode. I liked it. The best scene for me is when the um, Cersei's army sur- heard the bells surrendered, and there was this Great sort moment. of awkward pause. <laughs> yeah, and then they see the old dragon going ballistic behind them. They pick their swords back up. No, they didn't. They didn't pick their swords up. They did. No, no, because Grey Worm yeah, threw the spear. The spear. And that's yeah, when they grabbed their swords. Yeah, yeah but that they realized, didn't they realize? Wasn't that? Didn't the penny drop? That hang on, this is not going to. No, just I think be the a penny sp- was sort of like we're hoping there's not more fights here, but yeah. I think we're. Damned if we do, damned if we don't. And then, then John Snow wasn't happy. That's where that's yeah, where yeah. the um, the separation come because he doesn't yes. like to fight people. Well, who and you can don't see why fight. he wasn't happy. They went zero <laughs> to a hundred. Oh, so yeah. they but, became the tyrants. But they, I yeah, like all the, of a sudden, the view though from up top when they're showing Daenerys literally yeah. like she's burning her way through yeah, yeah. the streets, and it's like all going to lead to Cersei. I thought so it was almost fast. like punishment for Cersei. She's literally watching. Her whole city burned down bit by bit, and did she you, knew she was the last bit. Did you th- did you think about fast forwarding any bits? I thought about fast nah, forwarding. Really? I no, couldn't I, stomach. Like, I was glued to it. When the kids and that are burning, oh, and like yeah, the mum dies like, and stuff, you don't like that. But it's all like Cersei's done that before. She's never feared yeah. worrying about who dies, the innocent or the guilty. I fast forwarded the Ramsey bits. Remember, they're like seriously, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, I had to fast forward that stuff. I can't handle oh, yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Coco, you got the Twitter questions oh. this week, mate. This is where we come up. We. Um, we grabbed the best questions uh, from the Jock and Journo fans and we put them to the five-time, five-time, three-time for uh, for some of your golden insights, Coco. So what do you got? There's been plenty. This one from um, Drew Jackson. Are we doing merch? <laughs> uh, we can, Drew. Can we? We can. We can do anything you need on the show. I'm surprised we can do. Pendles hasn't what thought do we want? Jock and one <laughs> we'll, get jock, one. we'll get some Jock and Journo tees. and yeah. maybe yeah, a huge oh, group of people. Yeah, yeah. Jock and Journo We hat. can do that. Let's, well, we'll oh, look into beanie. it. Yeah. We need pre-orders though. Going oh, I'm not going to lay out the lay out the cash, and then <laughs> the investment doesn't pay off. Yeah, don't look at me. I'm not funding it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a poor journal. This is coming from Jay Chillen, 25. Don't mind that handle. I'd love to know some of Pendle's thoughts on Paddy Cripps after playing against him on the weekend. Mm. Where does he rank amongst players he's played against? Um, this would be a big call, but he's Carlton's Ooh. best player that I've ever played against. Oh, great comments. Wait, who does really? that bring in though? Murphy. Murphy. Judd for Favola. He's he's better than Judd. Yeah. I the impact Why? that he has in a game is like since I've played against Carlton, yep. he dominates a game more than any Carlton player that I've played against. Judd won a brown light there while you were there, yeah, but I only played against them a couple of times. I'm just saying from yeah. an impact point of view, in the last twenty years he'll go down in the last twenty, twenty five years, if he keeps going the way he's going, is Carlton's best player in the last twenty or twenty five oh. years. I don't know too much about the history and who's come before than Cuda. them. But he'll be better than most of them. What did you What did you think? You had a close look at his leadership. How did you rate that? I think leadership throughout the week is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like he set it up after the North game with he put his hand up, I didn't start well. Um, even having him on the podcast, I could get that sense of like they're stealing themselves for us. And um, and we knew that was coming. We, um, you know, everyone said to us, we sort of escaped the game and got out of jail type thing. It's like the last four times we've played Carlton, the game's been decided by under four goals. Yeah. Beat them in the preseason by a point. So in our eyes, we were happy to get the result again because they're, they've given us good challenges and we've had really good battles with them. We don't read ladder position when you play against the side, which everyone in the external world does. But, uh, but then on game day, just his ability to drag his side. Like he didn't start well. I think he had four or five touches in the first quarter. Yep. Um, you know, and I think that, the more Carlton's side get better around him, the more the load will be off his shoulders and he'll be able to go do his thing. But mm. at the moment, he's just so good at just dragging him, wheeling himself 
lead by example. Like he just keeps going. Five touches in the first quarter, and then I think he had twelve in the second. He just kept going, keeps working, contest to contest, ran the clearances. Like, yeah, and we you just got to try and make his day hard. But he's just really strong willed. And as I said, I think as the side gets better around him and performs, like you see on the weekend, there was when he was quiet, they were still playing some pretty good footy. That goal late on his right side, yeah, uh, was uh, was important as well. Is he the best? So do you think he's the number one player in the game now? Uh, I think it's it's hard to say Who who's that? the number one player in the game, but Fighty. he's in the conversation. Yeah, like is he the best player in the game? I don't know. I don't. I don't really think there is a split. There is a best player in the game, but there's certainly guys in the competition: Tim Kelly, Fife, Bonton Pally, Brody Grundy, hmm. Paddy Cripps, who are at the peak of their game, and you should just enjoy them doing their thing. What happened when uh, before we go to back to you, Coco? What happened when Geordie and did Geordie and Cripp oh, Yeah, they late in the game they hit each other hard a couple of times, and it's the first time I've seen somebody actually move Paddy Cripps. Like Geordie hit him pretty hard, and they both. I think it was like two big bulls looking at each other. Like, did you just move me? <laughs> did you just tackle me? Type thing. Like two big alpha males. So they'll they'll be exciting players for many years to come. This one goes into that. This is uh, E Wobbles. Who said, uh, did Cripps provide any banter after he sidestepped you to kick the last goal? Oh, they get around uh, you then. They oh, go right around you. Yeah. I was trying to cover off somebody else probably. But, uh, <laughs> nah, nah, I didn't provide any banter. You kicked a huge goal for him and just yeah, celebrated. One hell of a celebration. We didn't have really any banter at all. I had a bit of a chat after the game and um, just said, keep doing your thing, mate, because you're, you're doing well and you're leading them well. It was flat after the game. He said, uh, reading lips. He walked over the boundary line. How did we effing lose that? So he was disappointed, the great man. Saw him in the yep. rooms for five minutes afterwards. He almost looked angry about the loss. Anyway. Interesting one coming off our chat with Pods. Uh, Cal King, if you could, which rule would you change from this season and reverse it? Which rule would you change back? Uh, I'd probably change the, the 50 metre interpretation because I don't think it was that Good. much of an issue, like, you know, to give the follow up 100. Um, Hundreds are big penalty. because also the one of the part of the rule that I don't think people understand and that we got explained twice is that if you get a fifty meters, you can play on after ten meters and move the footy. So technically, on the weekend when Flip gave his fifty meters away and was running back, and the Carlton guy was sort of veering to try and catch him, that that could have been play on because he's run off his line. Yep. So I, yeah, I just think that that rule, um, you know, fifty is fifty. It almost should just be like this. If, if, a, if a player gives away a 50, you're out of the play. You can't go on the mark, so that yeah. just bang, removes him straight away. And if you try to get on the mark, it's another 50. So like flip, if you've given away the 50, yeah. you're out of the play. Yeah. That's it. And over. Last one, Cogo. At Sports Tragic 2019, Scott, have you ever climbed a goalpost? No. It's pretty impressive effort though. <laughs> yeah. Climbed it pretty quickly. Should it have been a free kick? Uh... I don't know. It's funny. I heard the commentary, like letter of the law, it should be, but then you want to give umpires more license. Mm-hmm. Um, lose, I lose. don't think it. I don't think it should have been. Like, if, imagine if Sydney lost because of that. Like Essendon weren't in position to win the game. It wasn't like Myers made the distance with the kick or anything yeah. like that. I know you're saying, well, then all oh, if it's five minutes closer, blah blah blah. But it's like, yeah, put it this way: if you're relying on that to win a game, there's a lot that's gone wrong before yeah. then. So, mm-hmm. and then if you want the game to be umpired, how everyone says now, well, the letter of the law everyone will be up in arms in two weeks' time because everything's getting umpired too strictly and it's a grey area game. Well, there you go. There you there go. You go. Uh, I think they need to rewrite the rule to prescribe not only for shaking the post but also for climbing the posts. Oh, yeah. Damn, did, did you know it was a rule? Uh, shaking the post, yep. No, yeah, climbing could, a post, did you oh, know it was a rule? It was inter- well, that isn't a rule. 
it's that's what I'm saying. Oh. It needs to be rewritten. rewritten. Yeah. So basically, any interfe- deliberate interference with the post or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, fair enough. Uh, Scotty, good luck against St Kilda this week. Thank How are you, you feeling? You feeling good? We're at nine rounds in. How's the body? Uh, eight rounds in. Eight yeah, rounds in. Body's good. Yeah. Um, looking forward to the Saints play. A lot different to the last time we played them. Um, yeah. So yeah, defend really well. They've got a really good balance how they go about it. So yeah, it's going to be a cracking contest. Jay was saying you look skinny. You look yeah. very skinny. I think it's because I got gaunt. black jeans on and the white t-shirt. Just don't you reckon he looks skinnier? Gaunt. Every time I see him, you said gaunt. No. He looked gaunt. I think just Jay gets the winter layer on, so he accuses other people looking skinny to deflect the winter layer. Past month hasn't been friendly. Hasn't been good. <laughs> Scotty, all the best uh, you, at mate. the weekend, mate. Um, Coco, well done as always, mate. Those videos from last week were <laughs> exceptional. More to come. We got some big guests lined up. Thanks so much for listening to the Jock and Geno show. We will catch you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.